So many people today, not just outside the church, that's a no-brainer, even inside the American church, they're building their house on the sand. They have a flimsy, shoddy foundation, which is not Jesus. And they're clinging to this. Hey, I was six years old. You know, I walked an aisle. I got baptized. I'm in. But nothing has happened. The heart is hardened. The spiritual arteries are deadened and calloused. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you, and as we, we lift up your name, what a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Father, as we respond to You in worship, I pray that as we open Your Word now, God, that we would block out every distraction, every temptation of thinking of something else, God. And I just pray right now that we would think on You. Think about Your beauty, Your splendor, Your majesty, Your glory. Your love for us. That, that in while we were still sinners, You sent Your Son, Jesus, to die for us. What a beautiful name it is. The name of King Jesus. So Father, as You move in our midst here today, would You... Would you begin to cultivate in my heart and every heart here today a, a heart that is ready, excited, desiring to receive the Word of God gladly. Father, we pray that our hearts would be in tune with You. And so as we worship You through the Word, I pray that we would be renewed by the washing of the Word. Prepare our hearts and minds right now. Holy Spirit, do the work that only You can do. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter as we start a new study in the book of First Peter, chapter one, looking at verses one through two today. First Peter chapter one, one through two, and the title of the message today is simply the blessing of obedience. The blessing of obedience. I want you to think about that right now in your, your mind's eye. What does obedience to Christ currently look like in my life and in your life? Like, what does it look like? Can you articulate it? Can you somehow quantify it, so to speak, that this is what it looks like? It's not perfect, but this is obedience in my life, and from that we see blessing. Well, here in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 2, 
Let's read this together as we mine the Scriptures and as we drink and drink very deeply from the Word. Chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and this is from the ESV I'm reading from, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. I said earlier to the first service, what happened to Chester, Virginia? Something easy to pronounce. Verse 2, according, don't miss this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the capital S Spirit. Why? For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. And then lastly, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace are a good thing, amen? I want it in my life, and I pray that you want those in your life. And the way that we get grace and peace is not something we go out and buy. It's not something that we achieve in life. We get the corner office overlooking the bay. It's not that we marry a certain person. Grace and peace are only found through Jesus. Peter knew this. Peter was quite a character, wasn't he? When you study Scripture... You see the life of Peter, and here he identifies himself as the author in verse 1. As we look at this salutation, people think these salutations don't have any weight to them. I would heartily disagree, as we're going to see here this morning. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, this is very key. So, Peter, the word Peter means Petros or Petra, and it's a rock, Now, that's very important, don't miss this, that we have a writer who is identified not to himself, but from Christ that we will see here in a moment as a rock. Now, the whole premise in life is it's not how we start, but it's truly how we finish. I know a lot of people that start out of the gate in the Christian life, and they quit along the way. They are rocky soil. They are hard ground, if you will. They are thorn-infested soil. And somewhere along the path that life gets in the way, interesting, life gets in the way of their salvation, go figure, and they apostate, they abandon that profession. Peter here is a great example, if you're wondering today, if God could really use you and all your junk and all your pain and all your baggage and all your shame, if you're wondering today if God can use you, we're going to give you a great example today that God can use you. Amen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, he didn't identify himself as, hey, I'm Peter. Hey, this is Pete. Good to see you guys. Have you reading today? He said, look, I'm Peter, but this is who I really am. See, it's all about whose we are in the walk. Whose are you, by the way? Maybe ask it this way, who owns you? Who owns your life? See, Peter got to the point in his life where he understood that Jesus is everything, that he got to the point in his walk where he became this apostle, this messenger, if you will, the one that is sent forth in kind of a loose sense, but 
when you tighten it up, you could argue this from Scripture, that typically an apostle was one who was called and commissioned by Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, with the exception of Paul. And something happens, church, don't miss this, something happens in a believer's life when you encounter this Jesus who is called the Christ, not in an external way, but an internal way, that the intellect gets shaken, that the emotions get stirred, that an act of the will through obedience takes over, not for the salvation, but from the salvation. Here Peter is writing, and he says, look, I'm an apostle. Matter of fact, when you go back to John 1.42, just for your notes, it's interesting that when this verse is said here in John 1.42, that as he brought him to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, this is interesting for you junkies that study Greek and Hebrew and all that good stuff, that literally Cephas is the transliteration of the Aramaic word for rock. Very interesting, as Jesus, as we're going to know here and see here in just a moment, see that Jesus sees the end of the parade for our life. You and I, we're kind of uh, standing on the side of the road, looking through a slat in the fence, and all we see is the parade that's going by in front of us. For each one of our lives, Jesus sees the beginning, the middle, and He sees the end already. And He knows by His power, that's Jesus I'm referring to, that even though that Peter is stumbling out of the gate, he's got his foot on the starting blocks, and he stumbles, and he fumbles, and he mumbles, and he bumbles. But Jesus knows that Peter is going to do extraordinary things for the gospel. He knows this because Peter's life is going to become one of obedience. And that's the blessing in the obedience, that we just don't receive a blessing from God. Hey, I'm, I'm going to obey you today, God, and so bless my life. Well, i got to be good for God, so I'll get a great stimulus check. i got to obey God so that, hey, I'll get a good health report. No, we obey God regardless of if He goes our way or not. We obey God regardless because when the true conversion is true, the obedience is now an outflow of the true conversion. Here you have Peter, and it says here that he's speaking to this audience. And you look there in your Bible, and it shows the audience in verse 1. Those elect exiles, hmm. there's that word elect in the ESV, the sovereignty of God refers to the selecting, yes, the called out ones, yes, exiles, a stranger, a sojourner, a pilgrim, a temporary resident. You know, one of my grave concerns for professing believers today in our culture and country is I think there are many who think their home is actually here. I don't know about you, but 
I know my citizenship is in heaven. Church, when you grasp that theological truth, just that one statement, that will change everything in your world. See, Peter got to that point. He knew that he's speaking to these exiles, these ones that are persecuted Jews, yes. Some theologians debate whether Gentiles mixed in, sure. Is it being written to us today? Amen. And here we have these that are suffering, they're persecuted, they're scattered all about in this dispersion. And then all of a sudden, he rolls into verse 2. But before we look at that, I want us to write down a very important key, and we're going to call it key number one. Key number one, here it is. The radical transformation in Peter's life is a glorious example of the all-surpassing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Key number one, write it down. The radical transformation in Peter's life is a glorious example of the all-surpassing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to go back for a moment and ask this question, who really was Peter? We often think of Peter, you know, first one out of the boat, first one to chop off ears, kind of a wild man, wasn't he? Well, I think there's some valid argument to that. But I want us for just a moment, there are so many scriptures that we could have pulled from, but I want to show a dichotomy, a a pendulum swing, if you will, uh, of Peter on one extreme, and then I want you to see on another extreme where Peter got to through the sanctification process. Write down in your notes, Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 23. This is powerful, powerful text. There are so many lessons in this one text we're going to read here out loud. Matthew 16, 13 through 23 under this key number one. Here's what it says, as Matthew writes, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples a question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, surprise, surprise, right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, don't miss that, I, Jesus, tell you, Peter, you are Peter. I love this. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Pause there for a moment. I think we missed something so beautiful here. That Jesus says, look, Peter, I'm going to take your garbage, your mess, even your disobedience, 
and I'm going to make you a rock. I'm going to make you into a pillar of this early church that's going to turn the world upside down. But oh, by the way, I, Jesus, right here, I will build my church. Did you catch that? Interesting. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. What a beautiful promise. As Christ builds his church, as we face so many challenges in America today, as there's light and darkness, there's wheat, there's tares, there's sheep, there's wolves, in the midst of all of it, we know this, that the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't know about you, but that makes me greatly encouraged. So the text goes on, says this, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Remember we talked about this in the triumphal entry? There was a sovereign appointed time for Jesus to come riding into town on a donkey. And it had to happen at that time. So he often told folks, he said, look, don't tell anyone what's going on. It's not time. Then he goes on. Love this. 21. From that time, Jesus began to show. He showed. Interesting. To show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. From the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. These were the Pharisees. The prideful religious bunch and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Amen? 22. Uh-oh. Here goes Peter. And Peter took him aside. Just picture this. So here's Peter, fisherman. Like, Jesus, come here for a minute. I need to take you aside. I need to give you a lecture. And he began to rebuke him. Can you imagine Peter rebuking Jesus? Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to him, said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Why? You are a hindrance to me. For you are not set in your mind. For you are not set in your mind on the things of God but on the things of a man. Wow, wow. Here's Peter, and Jesus has just told him, keep this in order, that you're going to be the rock. That's a pretty cool thing. And in the midst of him being told this, Jesus now shares what has to happen, that he must go to that cross and die and be brutally tortured and executed. And Peter... Decides to open his mouth and he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Anyone ever have Jesus call you Satan before? Not a real good day, huh? Why was he telling this to Peter? Why was he being so firm with Peter? 
Well, he explained it right there. For you're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God the Father, His kingdom, His glory, His praise, His fame, but no, you're setting your mind on the things of men. And here's what happens so many times when we walk in disobedience, we don't have the blessing of obedience. And in the midst of all of that, we're actually hindering the gospel from going forward. It's just too easy. It's way too easy to get lured, seduced, tricked, duped, snookered, sucked in to the meism. We are all either worshiping the Lord or we're worshiping self. Those are the two options. And it's just so, so tempting to cross the spiritual double line in the road. And here is an example of Peter not walking in truth and grace and mercy. And you would think that even though Jesus said, look, you're going to be the rock, and now he calls him Satan, it's like, whoa, this is kind of wild. Let me get my popcorn and watch this one, right? You would think it's all over, right? You'd think it's all over for Peter, and Pete's gone. Good luck, Pete. Adios. It's not the end of the story. And that should be a great hope for me and you today. It's not how we start. It's how we finish for Jesus. Way too many people start really well. But they go along the path and they get seduced by the things of men. And they're now actually a hindrance to the Gospel. So what happens to Peter? Well, write down Acts chapter 5. Let's see what happens. Acts chapter 5, 27 through 29. What a change in Peter's life. Here it is, Acts 5, 27 through 29. And when they had brought them, the apostles, the disciples that had gathered, they set them before the council. And the high priest, again, these prideful religious people of the day, questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood on us? I love Peter's response. You talk about a different Peter. Look at verse 29. I mean, Peter could have folded the tent, said, you know what, you're right, we don't want to offend anybody, we're just packing our bags and going home. 29, Acts 5, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Wow, isn't that awesome? You talk about bold. I mean, how do you have that kind of boldness? How do you get to the point in your life where you have that type of obedience and that type of courage and boldness? Because here's what Peter was saying. He's in this council area. These prideful religious leaders are saying, look, we told you strictly not to teach in the name of this Jesus. And Peter's going, hmm, uh, we're going to obey God rather than you. Wow. That's powerful. 
How do you get to the point in your life where, where that's where your heart beats and resonates? How do you get to the point in your life when, when everyone else is falling away, you're still running hard after Jesus? How do you stay the course in the midst of a life that is so insanely off the rails a day across our country? How on earth do you keep soldiering on for the glory of God? How do you do it? Well, I think the answer is obvious. When the conversion is real, the conversion will forever be real. See, it goes on a little deeper in verse 40 and 42 of Acts 5. Because here's what happens after Peter says, look, we're going to obey God rather than you. Here are the repercussions. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them, don't miss this, they charged them again not to speak in the name of Jesus. Basically what they're saying is, don't talk about light because we, the prideful religious people, love the darkness. We're going to get exposed, so don't talk about Jesus. And what happens? Well, they let him go, and then verse 41 then they, the disciples, the apostles, they, they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They have just been beaten and berated. And they leave there going, go Jesus. Why? Right there it is. That they were counted worthy. Don't miss that. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They understood. They embraced. They said, this is our calling. Our lives are no longer our own. We're going to rejoice in the midst of the persecution and the physical torture because we have been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name that's above every name. What an amazing testimony of a changed man. And then it says this, and every day, verse 42, remember they were commanded to never speak about Jesus again or teach about Him. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Wow. I don't know about you, but that greatly inspires me. Peter, get behind me, Satan. We're going to obey God and not you. Beat us. Berate us. We're counted worthy. Imagine what would happen if Christians all over America today would embrace this thought process. 
You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. And how do you get to that point of get behind me, Satan, to take my life? And I don't care. Well, I think verse 2 explains it. Verse 2 of 1 Peter 1. Here's what it says. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Hmm, interesting. In the sanctification of the Spirit. Very interesting. For obedience to Jesus Christ. Really interesting. And for sprinkling with His blood. Wow. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is a guy who Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're blocking the gospel going forward. You're not seeing clearly. You're deceived. You're deluded. Jesus is my everything. I'm willing to die for Him. He's writing this letter of 1 Peter that in the midst of the suffering, he knows, as Paul wrote, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. See, it's all about an eternal perspective. So often we're just so focused on the temporal We'll spend years planning, planning for an earthly retirement that in the whole scheme of things is about this long. How much effort do we spend in planning for our heavenly retirements? It's just so easy to externally say we're in, but internally worship self according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, according. The foreknowledge is where we get our English word prognosis. You go to a doctor and the doctor tells you the prognosis. And you look at that, and what happens? Well, he's telling you what he thinks is going to happen in the future, right? Aren't you glad that when Jesus gives his prognosis, there's no thinking involved, amen? There is nothing, as was once said, there's nothing uncertain with the certain God, period. And this foreknowledge here is rolling into a being in, don't miss this, in, ingrained in, grafted to, if you will, in the sanctification, in the consecration, the purification, the holiness, the process 
of being set apart, the process of becoming more like Christ. Do you see this church that in the midst of all of this, you see Peter? This is not some guy who's writing about something he has no experience in. He's been berated, he's been beaten for the gospel, and he's saying, look, got the t-shirt in this, so trust me, just trust me in this, as you walk in this, that God's working in your pain, that he's working, he's working out an eternal way to glory, therefore do not lose heart. It's part of ongoing change. For the true believer, you're in what's called sanctification. You're becoming more like Jesus. And part of sanctification, being set apart, being holy, is simply this, the next phrase. Why? For obedience. In its simplest form, when you look at this in the Greek, this word obedience means this, to submit. Now, that's a challenging word in our culture. I mean, we're seeing this played out all over the television screens, but the new ideology of the day is you don't have to submit to anybody. Just do whatever you want. I know this from my own brokenness, that the more that I get in this word... And the more this word gets in me, and the more I begin to submit under it, and that's what submit is, to to go under, to obey, it's like the psalmist wrote, your word have I hidden in my heart. Not so I can go impress people. That's not what the psalmist was saying. Not so that you could answer a multiple choice test in seminary. It's not what he's saying. He said, your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. It's real easy for me to tell you that I'm in the word. But the real question is, is the word in me? Because when the Word is in me, when the Word's in you, when we are squeezed, I mean, when we're squeezed, when the pressure is on, the back is against the ropes, and we are squeezed, what is in us will come out of us. Peter says, look, I'm Peter, I'm an apostle, I was once way over here. And then the light bulb went on, and now I'm way over here for Jesus. And through this process of sanctification, it has a purpose. If you're here today and you have an obedience issue, you really don't have an obedience issue, you have a salvation issue. Because obedience is an outflow of your salvation. When you've truly given your life to Christ, you understand His love for you. 
it's now in proportion a direct response going, oh, I love you. You're amazing. There's none like you. The heart sings with confidence that I want to obey my Lord. But for the rebellious person, the defiant, the wolf in sheep's clothing, there will be an undermining and a resistance that at some point will be exposed. That's why key number two is so important. Key number two, here it is. Write it down. True salvation in Christ produces, key, true obedience to Christ. Let me say that again. Key number two. True salvation, if it's real, in Christ produces true obedience to Christ. Don't forget that last phrase, grace and peace be multiplied. Grace, unmerited favor. Don't deserve this. I deserve death. I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. Grace, unmerited favor, peace, tranquility of the soul. A peace that surpasses all human understanding. Be multiplied, abound in, increase in. To who? The one who is saved and is being sanctified and has obedient fruit that's from that salvation. Everything's a domino effect. If your salvation was one of just being external, the fruit you produce will be in proportion to that external salvation, air quotes. It won't be real. It won't last. Like we said before, you can't long-term hide rebellion and defiance and pridefulness, nor can you long-term hide humility. It's just part of who we now are. Or, if it's pridefulness, it's who we've always been. This obedience is so important. Not for salvation. Hear me clearly on this. From. From salvation is the obedience. Remember, it's about root and fruit. I think that's the best way I can try to explain it. There's a root, and then there's also fruit. The root is in Christ. We have read before in Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 10 there, that you see that we're rooted. We're in Christ. When we're rooted to Christ, the fruit we bear will be a direct correspondence, so to speak, to the root. Think about this. If that true conversion is real, the true conversion will have true obedience. If the conversion is false, there will be an ever-present and ever-growing defiant, stiff-necked rebelliousness there, even if it's low-grade. Ever have a low-grade fever? Hopefully not today, amen? Low-grade fevers, they're just kind of there, aren't they? They're there. 
That's what happens with the rebellious heart. Most people won't just punch you in the face, but they'll do everything they can in an undermining way to punch you in the face. It's low grade. It's all about being covert and stealth. That's not a true conversion. That's wickedness. When you go to a counselor, and any good Christian nuthetic counselor, Bible-based, Christ-centered, they can go right now, tell me what's going on, and go, that's a sin issue. Oh, that's a sin issue. Hearts hardened. But I raised a hand, said a prayer, did a cartwheel, jumped out of the balcony. I even cut the church grass. Praise Jesus. It's all about an obedient heart which comes from a heart that's truly converted. I made this note here. I said we often are so oblivious to obedience because often we don't walk in it. And then when someone comes on the scene and lives in obedience, what happens? It's very frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> shouldn't be. should be, well, this is amazing. If we want to change, it will be. But if we don't want to change, oh, how we hunker down in the darkness. And I thought about that statement, and I began to think even more on that, you know, because the reality is when you think through that thought and just continue that thought pattern, I mean, it really does make sense. I mean, so often inside the American church, we're asking people to act like Jesus when the reality as often there are people that don't know him and he doesn't know them. So how can they justifiably act like Jesus? Happens to pastors, deacons, Sunday school teachers. You name it, it happens. There's wheat and there's tares, there's sheep and wolves, light and darkness. It's just how this thing works. So you're probably wondering, okay, this obedience thing seems pretty important. Check. What does God's Word have to say? Well, I got some good news here. At one point, I had over 100 verses to read to you. I've whittled them down to 99. No, just kidding. I have whittled them down, though. So here they are. And I know I gave you one line to write them down on, so get ready to flip over your paper. I'm going to read them rapid fire if you come out of this still rebellious, God help you. Because here it is. Deuteronomy 8, 19 through 20. Deuteronomy 8, 19 through 20. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, these little G gods, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish. Why? Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord. Joshua 5.6 For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. Man, can you imagine how fit those people must have been? Until all the nation. Did you catch that? Until all the nation. And the men of war who came out of Egypt perished. Why? Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us. 
a land flowing with milk and honey. 1 Samuel 15.22, 1 Samuel 15.22, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He says, behold, means listen up. Listen up to obey is better than sacrifice. Jeremiah 7.23, Jeremiah 7.23, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God. Sounds good. And you shall be my people. Sounds amazing. And walk in all the way that I command you. Why? Here it is, that it may be well with you. With the obedient child who obeys mom and dad, it goes pretty well, amen? When they don't, there's problems. Ezra 7.10, Ezra 7.10, I love this one. For Ezra had set his heart, he missilocked his heart to study. I love this. He's, he's going to study the law, study the Word of the Lord, and to do it, to obey it. And then to go even further and to teach, to teach His statues and rules in all of Israel. How about the New Testament? Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone, not everyone who says verbally, profession, external, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, the one who does the will of my Father, who's in heaven? The one who obeys. John 14, 15. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, if you love me, if you really love me, you will keep, you will obey my commandments. What a glorious short verse that has so much power-packed gospel in it that if you really love me, not in word, but in deed, you will keep my commandments. You will desire to obey me is what Christ says. He goes deeper in Luke 6, 46-48. Look how he sharpens the needle, so to speak, and the pencil. Luke 6, 46 through 48, he asks the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord verbally and disobey me is what he's saying. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, obeys, I will show you what he's like. I love this. He is like a man who's building a house, who dug deep, he dug deep, and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the floods arose and the stream broke against that house, what happened? It could not shake it. Why? Because it had been well built. So many people today, not just outside the church, that's a no-brainer, even inside the American church, they're building their house on the sand. They have a flimsy shoddy foundation, which is not Jesus. And they're clinging to this. Hey, I was six years old. You know, I walked an aisle. I got baptized. I'm in. But nothing has happened. The heart is hardened. The spiritual arteries are deadened and calloused. And that's what happens. 
You think about Luke 8.15. Luke 8.15, as for that, in the good soil, we talked about this weeks ago, they are those who hearing the Word, that's a good thing, by the way, to hear it, they hold it fast. Are you holding fast the Word of God today? Like, do you cling to it? Like our brothers and sisters in China, you see what they're going through. I mean, they take this Bible, they're in prison, they're beaten for it. So many times the way they get elevated in the house church in China, it depends on how long you've been in prison for Jesus. And they get pages of the Bible sent to them and they memorize it. They write it on the heart. They treasure it. They hold it fast. They know it's their hope, their identity, and their security. They realize that when Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. Oh, my heart weeps and breaks. Because that glorious word goes on. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit. Root and fruit. Whatever you're rooted to, is the kind of fruit you're going to bear. And you're either going to bear good fruit or ungodly fruit. Those are the two options. How about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? We love 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2. For by grace we've been saved. We love that one. It's so important, though, to read on in Scripture for full context. We have been saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Amen. But what about verse 10? Here it is. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Uh-oh, there that is again, that thought. Why? Here it is. That we should walk in them. You know what that means? That we should obey them. There's obedience here. We're prepared for the good works, the salvation. The salvation comes first and then through a true conversion, not a false one, but a true conversion, when the life is given over to Christ in totality, the desire to obey, the new man is on the scene, the new woman's on the scene, there's now a thirst, there's now a hunger that says, I just want to obey Jesus all the days of my life. And yet it's so difficult at times because... The reality, I believe, is there are times when the conversion is not real. Thomas Brooks, the old Puritan, said it like this. I love this. He said, true grace works the heart to the hatred of all sin and to the love of all truth. Let me read this again. Thomas Brooks, true grace works the heart to the hatred of all sin and to the love of all truth. Think about these remaining five verses from the New Testament. Write it down. 1 John 3.24. 1 John 3.24. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God. Whoever obeys His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit who has been given to us. How about the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 17, writing there to those persecuted believers, obey your leaders and submit to them. There's that word again. 
Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Oh, it's so hard to submit to those that are spiritually over us, but they will give an account and and they prayerfully are doing this with joy and they're watching out for the souls and there's such a, a mantle to carry in that process. What are we to do? To do so in a joyful, submissive way. Well, the last three or two in James and one in Ecclesiastes, going back to the Old Testament. So here's James 1.22. We've studied this in depth. But be doers of the word, obeyers, and not hearers only. Why? Deceiving yourselves. If I'm just hearing, if you're just hearing, but you're not obeying, you're actually deceiving you most of all. And that's why James 2.17 just underpins this thought, undergirds it with such a foundational element. So also, James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There is something about obedience. It's the proof and the pudding. I can say I'm this, I can say I'm that, but as you watch me live my life, as I watch you live your life, we're either walking on one of two paths, obedience or disobedience. Which path are you on? Are you walking in joyful obedience to God from an outflow of a true conversion? Ecclesiastes, here it is. Last verse, 12, 13, easy to remember. We had John 14, 15. Now we have Ecclesiastes 12, 13. This is the end of the whole matter. All has been heard. Number one, fear God. Holy on reverence. Number two, keep, obey His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Can you imagine what would happen all across our country today, all across churches today, if churches were just fearing God? Man, they checked self at the door. They said, you know, it's not about me. It's all about His glory. We're going to fear you. There's nothing like you. Man, we just want to worship you. We hunger for you. You're just it. And then from that, we just say, God, I want to obey you. Can you imagine what would happen? That's why I asked myself and I ask you, do you see now, church, how seriously God takes obedience? Do you see the connection with Peter? I, Peter, man, I'm here. Jesus called me Satan. Cliff notes, not a good thing you want to do. Wait a minute, I'm now over here. I'm willing to die for Jesus, and I'm willing to do it, and I'm going to show you I'm willing to. And church history goes on to tell us that Peter was crucified upside down, is what church history tells us. Because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like his Savior. That was the humility that came on the scene. This boastful, proud fisherman who's trying to tell a carpenter how to do things. And what happens? Well, what happens is a life gets changed, transformed. The second question is, whoever's having the hardest time right now reading these verses and listening to these Scriptures are the ones that have a check engine light on your dash of your heart 
Because when we read this, like I do from time to time, and I go, oh man, that stung. That hurt. I don't like that. It's actually an indicator to me that something needs to change. I get offended at the most by that which offends my sinful flesh. Are you walking today in obedience? Or is the reality you're walking in disobedience? See, there's a blessing in obedience and there's judgment in disobedience. And this is the frightening reality that whether it be an individual or a home or business, a ball team or church, when people begin to walk in disobedience, they take the consequences of that disobedience everywhere they go. And the toxins and the poisons just go everywhere. This is why it's so critical for me, for you, to deeply examine where we are through this takeaway question. And here it is. The takeaway question. Am I stirred right now by the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus? Am I stirred by the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus? That's a great thing, by the way. If that's you, praise Jesus. I mean, this is discipleship 101. Repentance isn't a one-time thing. Repentance is a lifetime thing. The more that you and I become conformed to the image of Christ, both me and you will now see us for who we really are and more needs to be repented of. It's a process. It's a lifetime of repentance. An ever-growing humility will be one of the defining marks of a true believer. There's a humility there. There's growing in this. But rebellion and hard-heartedness and stiff-neckedness and defiance and undermining are the marks of someone who truly hasn't given their life to Christ. A friend of mine, Mike Thompson, recently said this, pride is us ignoring our flaws. Oh, I thought that was good. Pride is us ignoring our flaws. Wow. Hmm. And the reality is, if you're living a disobedient life, that still small voice of the Lord as you grow in more disobedience, as the heart gets more calloused, that still small voice gets fainter and fainter and fainter as the spiritual arteries get clogged. That's why the action step for you that truly want to live for Jesus, here it is. Today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will take whatever steps necessary to be all in for Jesus. It's not by your power or mine. I can't do it. Jesus can through His Spirit. But you've got to be willing. There's an intentional effort to this. Intentional action is key to your growth in Christ, to my growth. If I just, I can say I'm saved and I can just sit around and do nothing. I'm not growing in the Lord. I can fool myself. I have to be in the Word, fervent prayer around believers. That's how I grow in the Lord. I need it. Because it's just way too easy. It's way too easy to sit on the spiritual sidelines and do nothing. 
It's just way too easy. It's just what our culture embraces. They applaud it. Just sit back and do whatever. It's all about you anyway. No, it's not. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. People will often comment. They'll say, well, you know, we should, we should do a marketing campaign or we should do something to let people know we're here. And, and I get the whole point, but I think Ravenhill summed it up well. He said, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, walking in holiness, humility, obedience is how we could categorize that, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. Are you walking in obedience or disobedience? I pray today, if it's disobedience, I pray that we will repent right now before it's too late. Father, we come before You and God, thank You for this incredible example of Peter. A man whose life that was truly changed. God, what great encouragement that is for us today. As we sojourn through this earthly life, which can be so difficult and discouraging, yet we know our Redeemer lives. And because of that, for those that are truly saved and rescued, we long to be obedient. So, Father, I pray we'd be like Peter, who he walked the road, he learned difficult lessons. And in spite of his shortcomings and even sin, you did amazing things with his life as he repented. Oh, Father, give us a heart of repentance, a heart of obedience, a tender heart, a humble heart, one that's coachable and teachable. Oh, God, give that to me. Give that to us today. Lord, I know you will bless a church that walks in obedience. And so, God, I pray that for our fellowship. That when people even hear about Enon Baptist Church, I pray that they will say, oh, that's the obedient church. Yeah, that's us. We're not perfect, but we're running hard after the one who is. So God, do a work in this place. I pray against the schemes of the enemy even right now, his lies, his deceptions. Holy Spirit, break through. Break through in power. Shake this place like never before for your glory. Don't allow us to surrender some. But God, I pray today, perhaps for one, maybe perhaps for several, today is finally the day to surrender all. Holy Spirit, do the work only you can do in our hearts right now. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless, the name that's above every name, the risen Savior, King Jesus, do we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. 
In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during this day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.